Welcome to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. May the Word of God be a blessing to you. Connect with us and consider giving online at lifespringchurch.us. Last Sunday was the result of us worshiping. That's what it was. It's the result of us worshiping. Worshiping is just that surrender, that moment of surrender. And we're going to talk about what it means to worship from a biblical perspective today. But I think this is just a confirmation to us that last Sunday wasn't an anomaly, or it shouldn't be an anomaly. It should be something that's regular, a part of our lives. Now, there are some churches, some Pentecostal churches, that they figured it out. They figured it out if they worship hard every single Sunday, they don't have to listen to the preacher preach. <laughs> don't get in the habit. Sundays will get longer. <laughs> but there are times when the presence of God shows up, and I definitely believe that God can do more in five seconds than I could do in 50 minutes. Amen? 45 minutes or even five minutes. God's hand can touch and instantly transform and change. So we're going to talk a little bit about worship. There's a, in studying scripture, there's a, a, a rule or a law, not just in scripture, but oftentimes in science or whatnot, called the law of first mentions. The first time something is mentioned, it's significant because it's an establishment of a pattern. It's the, it's the first time something has happened and it's been observed or something has occurred. So let's look at this word worship, and the first time that it appears in Scripture is in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 5. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Those that were quick to your feet, you got to stand up. Those who are just making it up, thank you. You can be seated. <laughs> Welcome to the ups and downs of church. <clears throat> this is the first time the word worship shows up in Scripture. Now, there's offering sacrifices, there's giving praise to God, but worship. Abraham was looking to do something deeper in his relationship with God than anybody else had ever done. And it wasn't necessarily sought out by Abraham. It was his obedience to a commandment from God. God's commandment to Abraham first was, leave your homeland, leave your father and mother, and travel to a city, a land that I will give to you. Sounds like an awesome plan, God. You're going to give me some land. You're going to give me a place to live. Let's do it. Where are we headed? God said, not here. <laughs> that was about the extent of the instruction. You travel, Abraham, and I'll tell you when we get there. You walk, Abraham, and I will help you know where we're going. And this, this is kind of, kind of the theme of what we've had here the first quarter and into April of this year is faith. Because we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk according to what we know to be true in the Word of God and those things that we've experienced in the Word of God and those testimonies of the patriarchs and the apostles and the prophets from the word of God. We live according to faith. We even sung the song today. 
Even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. Because it's not by sight and it's not by feeling, but it's by faith. We live by faith. If God, and he is, is the sovereign of all the universe and the creator of all that exists, then he has the ability to do anything. Anything. He can heal anybody of any disease. He can heal anybody of any hurt, ache, struggle in their physical body. He can heal any disease. He can heal any infirmity. If he created the body, then he has the ability to heal the body. I'm stretching our faith a little bit. If he has the ability to create all of the universe and all that exists, then he has the ability to order my life. If he can make... I'm old school. I guess Pluto's still a planet in my mind. If he can make all the planets, the nine planets surround the sun in perfect order and in perfect time and never collide and he can place our planet the perfect distance from the sun at the perfect angle from the sun to have seasons and rotate at the speed that it rotates so that we're not sucked down to the planet or thrown off he can create layers in the atmosphere that support life on the earth and animals in the air he can create water and beasts and animals that live in the water. He can put all things on the land. You get it. I'm going through the whole creation story. If he can create all of that and put it into order and it works in its purpose. The other day, Ashley and I were in the kitchen and I asked her a question. And sometimes I ask odd questions. I said, you see those maple trees out back? Yeah. You see the they're the bane of our existence right now. They keep falling all over the place in the gutters and everywhere. The little helicopter seed things that fall off everywhere. I said, you know, maple trees have helicopters seeds on them. It's like this is it's a deep conversation. I said, humans, we operate by our brain. So our brain tells us what to do. If we know it's cold outside, our brain is smart enough to say, do something to get warm. Start a fire, put on a coat, whatever. Do something to get warm. If it's hot outside, we know it's time to jump in the creek or something. Cool off. You put your finger over the stove, you find out it's hot. Your brain says, move that finger. Our brain is the central command center of our body. I said, who tells or how does the tree know when to produce helicopter seeds? It doesn't have a brain. And she goes, well, it's instinct when it starts to warm up. But how does it know what temperature? How does it know when to change? I don't have an answer. I'm just asking questions that don't have answers. It's because God said everything that he created, he built inside of it its own ability to reproduce. 
Every spring, there, God doesn't say, let there be maple trees. He created within the maple tree the ability for it to reproduce itself, and God doesn't have to mess with it anymore. From the power of his first voice, for eternity, maple trees will reproduce. That's an incredible creator. That's powerful in his creation. And so, if he has the ability to do all of that and he has the ability to order our lives, then there is no reason that I shouldn't have faith that he can deal with my every day. I should have faith that he can take care of the situation I'm facing right now. The decision I have to make. I have faith that God can lead me in the right direction. The struggle I'm going through. I have faith that God knows right where I am and he's going to bring me out of it. And Abraham demonstrated faith when God said, just pack up and leave. And Abraham lives his life and he, he comes to this point where the promised child that God had promised to him has been born. And then God comes to him and says, I want you to sacrifice that child. And so that leads us to the reading today. He's come to the, the mountain and he's left the servants behind. He's grabbed the lad. And he makes this proclamation of faith. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And come Back to you. The word from God was, you're going up the mountain with your son, and when you get there, you're going to sacrifice him, and then you're coming back down the mountain, Abraham. But Abraham said, no, I'm going to take my son to the top of the mountain, and we are going to worship. And when we are done worshiping, together we'll return. You may be looking at a situation that seems like it's entirely impossible. It may feel like death is the end result of what you're dealing with. But let me tell you something. If you will find a place to worship, if you will find an attitude and a heart of worship, you don't know what could change at the top of the mountain. It's because we were created to be worshipers. So let's look at our own lives. Let's look at the life that we are responsible for. Let's look at the life that, that we lead, and we have to ask ourselves the question. If I was created as a worshiper, and we are, all of us are created to worship, that is the human instinct to worship. I'm trying to stay on track. Pause that. One of the main ways we worship is the music we listen to. Because music is the avenue of worship, one of the avenues of worship. Which leads into the question we have to ask ourselves, what am I worshiping? Because I am worshiping, it was my created purpose. Do I worship myself? Do I worship money? Do I worship certain emotions that I want to feel in my life? Is there another person that I've lifted up that I worship? Is there a pagan god that I worship? Or is it the one true holy God that I worship? It's evident what we worship 
when we look at the two requirements found in the text, they describe to us what worship is. The first requirement for worship is sacrifice, and the second requirement for worship is relocation. Sacrifice and relocation. It's my prayer and hope today that the one true God, Jesus Christ, Messiah, God robed in flesh, is the object of your worship. So we're going to look at these two requirements for a little bit this morning. First is the requirement of sacrifice. Everybody say, oh me. In church, we either say amen or we say oh me. Amen means let it be. Oh me says, all right, pastor, next topic. Get to your next bullet point. Jesus is working on me on that one. Worship requires sacrifice. Abraham was on his way to the mountain to offer a sacrifice for God, yet he didn't call it sacrifice. He called it worship. Our Christian pop culture has lost the original meaning of what worship is. Let me just tell you, worship isn't predicated or dependent upon how we feel. Worship isn't dependent upon moods. Worship isn't dependent upon atmosphere. You can't create an atmosphere of worship. You just must worship. You can create an atmosphere of praise. You can create a mood of praise because that's comes from within us and out of us. Praise is thankfulness for what God has done. If I was to take a, a video of your entire life and begin to play every blessing that God had in, performed in your life, it wouldn't take very long for us to create an atmosphere for you to praise God, for you to become thankful for what God has done. But worship doesn't come from the things that God has done for us. Worship comes from the understanding of who God is. And God doesn't change whether I'm in a good mood or a bad mood. God doesn't change whether the sun's shining or the rain's falling. God hasn't changed whether I'm walking through a valley today or whether I'm standing on a mountaintop. God never changes. He said he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if yesterday was your best day and today is your worst day, God was the same in both of them and he'll be the same tomorrow no matter if it's a good day or a bad day. If you want to build your life on something that doesn't change, build your life on God. If you want to build your life on a foundation that never shifts, build your life on God. If you want to worship something that never changes, worship the one true God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Worship isn't based upon these things that Christian pop culture has propagated in our eyes. No, worship Worship is based upon who he is, and it requires the sacrifice, the sacrifice of dying to anything in my life that holds a higher priority than God. When's a good time to worship God? Always. But that's too fast of an answer. I got time to fill. Come on, folks. You gotta worship God when things are going are going perfect. When you wake up in the morning, the birds are singing, the sun's shining, the people in your house are not making a wreck of it, 
Your boss calls and just out of the blue says you get a day off because you're doing such a great job. I don't think that's ever happened. It's a perfect day. It's beyond expectation. It's a dream day. I would hope we could find it in us to worship God. But what happens on the day you wake up and it's all falling apart? It's complete chaos. You didn't sleep. Everybody in your house has an attitude. All the groceries are gone. All the laundry's piled up. All the rooms are dirty. The cars broke down. And your boss says you got to work extra hours today. Did you worship God in that? Well, no. We get a sour attitude and we get all bent out of shape and God goes on the shelf and we got to figure it out. But no, that's the time to worship God. When things are going good, we worship God. And when things are going bad, we worship God. Because our worship isn't based on the temporal things. Our worship is a sacrifice to God because of who He is and He never changes. <laughs> Hebrews 13 and 15 says... By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So we must offer to him a sacrifice continually. The second ingredient to worship. Well, the first requirement is sacrifice. And sacrifice requires humility. Here's what worship means in the context of Abraham. It literally meant to bow down, to crouch, to fall down, to lay prostrate, to give reverence, and to humbly beseech. 1 Peter 5 and 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. When it comes to true worship, something must die. Something dies every time we worship God. My will dies. The next thing on my agenda dies. My thought process about worrying next week dies. Something has to die when we come to worship God. That's why sometimes we struggle even in worship services because it's easy to come together, sing a song and clap our hands and praise God for what he's done. But to get from praise to worship Something dies. Like, is it 11, is it 11.30 yet? Is it 12 yet? Is it 12.30 yet? Something has to die. What are my plans for this evening and this afternoon? Well, something has to die. So we must be willing to surrender something to the King of Kings. Even in our day-to-day -day worship, it can become so busy with our daily routine. That we forget to worship. There's no worship until our carnality is placed on an altar and sacrifice. We must find our way beyond humanity into the presence of the divinity. The divine nature of God. Every moment that it's available to us. We live in a carnal world. We're surrounded by evil. We're surrounded by spirits that seduce us and pull at us and tempt us. But we must find a way to push past all of the temptation of this world and enter into the presence of God and find a place of worship. Maybe one of the greatest acts of worship is repentance. Repentance. Because it's death. 
Repentance is the place where we go before God. And even before we can really begin to, to recognize Him, we must experience His greatness. And the only way to experience the greatest of God's greatness is through repentance. It's when His grace sweeps over you and He forgives you of stuff that everybody else is still holding against you. It's when God forgives you of debts that you have in the spirit world that other people just dangle in front of you and entice you and tempt you. Repentance is the first step in sacrifice of worship. We can't lift up guilty hands with a good conscience before a holy God. If there's sin in our lives, then we just have to ask God, Lord, forgive me. And we must determine in our heart in that moment, I'll not live that lifestyle. I'll not make those choices any longer. Paul said he died daily. So don't get bent out of shape over yourself. Don't beat yourself up if you trip and fall. Don't go around looking for places to fall down. But if you fall, don't get all beat up about it. Just repent and then stand up and begin to worship God because who He is. Let me tell you something. Here's a secret. When you fall and you fail, God's still victorious. God's not holding on to our coattail. And when we stumble and fall like our little child, they stumble and fall with us. That's not how it happens. God never fails. God never falters. God never lets us down. So when we fall, we cannot project our failure on God. We must realize it was a mistake on our part, and He's still successful. He's still victorious. He's still winning the battle. And all we have to do is stand up and recognize Him in His majesty and begin to worship Him again. We die out to our old actions. We die out to an old life. We surrender every part of who we are so that we become closer to Jesus Christ. Let me admonish you. If you're here today and you have stuff in your life that keeps you from freely worshiping God, then find a way to this altar today. And don't leave without taking care of any roadblock that's in your life that hinders you from freely worshiping God. God's grace is big enough to forgive it today. I'm just in a bold this morning. I'm not coming to get you. It doesn't matter what the justice system says. You can have a record. And that record will stay with you forever. But God's grace can forgive you. That doesn't remove your responsibility to society. It doesn't remove your debt to society. It doesn't remove obedience to the laws of our land. But in the spirit world, God says, I've forgiven you. And you don't have to walk around labeled with what the world would label you as. I thought somebody would be excited about that. What you did as a teenager, what you did as a young adult, what you did before you come into the, into the church, before you gave your heart and life to Christ, before you were obedient to the gospel, don't let the enemy beat you up with that stuff anymore. He's forgiven you. He's set you free. He's liberated you. Now worship Him because of who He is.
I praise him because he set me free, but I worship him because he was able to set me free. I praise him because he broke my addiction. I worship him because he's the only one that can remove those chains from my life. I praise him because he forgave my sin, but I worship him because he's the perfect lamb sacrificed from the foundations of the earth. His blood is the only blood that can wash away my sin. If pride keeps you from worshiping God, then I have to be honest with you. I don't mean to be rude, but get over yourself. He's God. He deserves it. He's bigger than me. He's bigger than you. He's bigger than your neighbor. He's bigger than anybody else in this house. We must find a way to humbly come before him. Die in his presence. Put aside every part of our life that would stand between us and God. And say, God, I seek first you and your kingdom. And I worship you. takes me to the story of David Saul was king before David the Philistines captured the ark of God because of Saul's foolishness it's the presence of God the ark of God represents God's presence in the Old Testament his presence was in a foreign land he messed up their stuff man pretty hilarious they're like oh it's it's an ark it's a spiritual artifact we're going to put it in here in the in the temple our temple with all the other spiritual artifacts and they set the presence of God in front of their God Dagon and they came back the next day and their idol had fallen over and broken years have gone by David says, no, 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 he's become, he's become king, and he's like, no, this isn't right. God's presence, the God that chose us to be his chosen people, his presence should not be in the land of the Philistines, nor should it be at the, the house of some other person. His presence belongs in the temple. And so they went to get the presence of God. And they're bringing the presence of God back, and that brings us to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Verse 16, and then I'm going to jump to 21. It says, And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Micah, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. Verse 21. And David said unto Michael, It was before the Lord which chose me before thy father. Oh, she was Saul's daughter, just fill that in. And before all his house to appoint me ruler over the land, over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore I will play before the Lord. And I will yet be more vile than thus. And will be base in my own sight. And of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. Therefore Micah, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Hold on. David said, I want the presence of God here. And God deserves my best no matter what. 
And every seven paces, he began to worship God. All the way till they brought the temple, or the presence of God into the temple. And here's the princess sitting in the window, watching her husband, in her eyes, make a fool of himself among all the other people. You're a king. You have royal garments. Why aren't you in your majestic coach being drawn in front of the presence? How come there's not a procession, a, a royal regal procession bringing back the presence of God? No, you're down there playing a harp and dancing like a fool. Who are you? She despised him in her heart. David got word, had a conversation with her. You thought that was crazy. Wait till next time. And all these people you thought were making fun of me, just so you know, they hold me in high honor because of what I was doing. The Bible says she never bore a child unto her death. I've never found in Scripture where the Bible says that God cursed her or closed up her wounds. I just find where David never was intimate with her and she never had a child. Be careful whose praise and whose worship you make fun of. To despise another's worship is unrighteous and it's unjust. How can I judge another person's worship rightly? I can't. I don't know the price they paid in their praise to get to that place of worship. I don't know what they just sacrificed so that they could worship. I don't know the struggle, the trial, the heartache that they went through to worship God. We don't know how expensive their worship is. We don't understand everything that goes into the sacrifice of worship that they're presenting. David's worship was expensive. How expensive? Well, let's talk about how expensive it was for David to be king and bring the presence of God back into the house of God. This wasn't something unfamiliar with David because as a little lad, he would sit in the field watching sheep and he would play that harp. And as he played that harp, he would worship God and he felt the presence of God and he understood what it meant to be a worshiper. So much so that God said he was a man after his own heart. And as king, David was trying to reclaim what he had experienced in the field and bring it to all the people of Israel. And it wasn't just easy. It wasn't just the snap of a finger or the commandment of a king. To get from a field to the freeway, if I could say it that way, where he was worshiping God, took some stuff. First of all, he was the last person called in to be anointed to be king. He was forgotten by his own father. Oh yeah, I do have one more. He's out in the field watching the sheep. After being anointed king, Samuel leaves. Here's a little lad covered in oil. Had a prayer prayed over him. You're going to be the king. Cool. Next steps is kinghood. To the kingdom. Uh, the sheep are out there. Nobody's watching them, David. Can you get back out in this field? 
That was reality. Then word came back in to Jesse's house and filtered back down. Hey, hey, King Saul is possessed with a tormenting spirit. Can you send your son who plays the harp so beautifully? Can you send David to the palace and let him play and see what it does? Let's just be human. The man that's anointed to be the next king of Israel is sitting in front of a demented man playing music for him to soothe him. I'd be like, dude, leave. I'll take over. We don't need your craziness here anyway. He begins to make a friendship with the king's son, Jonathan. And they've, they become close and it moves from just being invited at times to come and play for the king for the king, to, to invite it around the king's table. And even while sitting around the king's table, enjoying royalty, the spirit would well up inside of Saul. And one time he took a javelin and threw it across the dinner table. He tried to pin David to the wall. This is the journey to becoming a king. David's like, uh, I don't think I'm welcome here. I'm out. And the struggle got worse because David become a vagabond. David become a man on the run. He lived in caves. He lived in foreign lands. It got so bad at one time he even faked insanity to save his own life. He's running, living in the wilderness with no home, no place to rest. And Saul and the army of Israel chasing him down, hunting him down. The next man to be king. So, when the day comes that David is finally king, and David has the opportunity to bring the presence of God back to the house of God, it's no small sacrifice. It was no small measure. It was no small thing. It had great significance. It carried a lot of weight with it that day because David was throwing off all those times he slept in a cave. He was throwing off all those times he had been rejected and overlooked. He was throwing off all the angry words that were spoken in his direction. He was throwing off all the loneliness and abandonment. No, he was regaining and re regrouping all oh, what I felt in the pasture, I'm now going to feel in the presence of God again. It's not just for a shepherd with sheep, but now I'm bringing it back so that the priest can feel the presence of God. And God's power is in our people. So when someone begins to worship God, you don't know the price they paid or the sacrifice they made or the act of humility that they've engaged to get to that place of worship so I celebrate everyone that would find their way into the presence of God. Whether your worship is loud and demonstrative or whether your worship is quiet and somewhat reserved, if you found your way into the presence of God and you can freely lift your hands in worship, I celebrate you, your sacrifice, your humility. God bless you for being a worshiper. It's no wonder what she, Michael, said in the window 
despising his worship. Something stirred up inside of him. She'll never reproduce the bloodline of this throne. Be careful when you despise the worship of another because it could be the death of God's miracles working in the next generation and the next generation and the next generation in your life. If we can't be a disciple maker, excuse me, you can't be a disciple maker and not be a worshiper. We can't bear children and not be worshipers. The Bible says when Zion travails, the church travails, she brings forth children. You can't be intimate with God and as a church reproduce new babies in Christ if we're not worshipers. And you won't be a disciple maker if you despise the worship of others. To be a true worshiper, you have to disregard what anybody says or what anybody thinks. When I lift my hands or when I sing out loud, when I shout hallelujah to God, it's not for you, it's for Him. It's for Him. It's that He receive praise. It's that He would be magnified. It's that He would be recognized for who He is. So, worship begins with sacrifice. And worship requires, secondly, relocation. Abraham told those in the group, you guys stay here with the donkey and the animals, camp and gear, all the stuff we brought on this journey, you stay here with that. We're going to go forward and worship. Abraham was saying to the group, you can only go so far with us. There comes a part in the journey of worship where not everybody is allowed to come along. There's a point in the journey of worship where everybody else is left behind and the only people embarking on the next few steps are you and God. We can praise corporately. We can together praise God for what He's done. But when it comes to worship, your worship doesn't do anything for me. My worship doesn't really do anything for you. Worship is a me and God and you and God thing. It's an individual connection. It's one-on-one -on -one with God. And so there's a relocation that happens. The relocation is everything else stays here at the base of the mountain. And I'm going to climb until I get to the presence of God. I'm going to find my way into his presence. There's times that we have to relocate ourselves in time of worship. You can't stay where you are and worship God. You can't stay depressed and worship God. You can't stay angry and worship God. You can't stay offended and worship God. You can't be jealous and worship God. You can't be hurt and worship God. You've got to say, I'm going to sacrifice all of that. I'm going to humble myself before God and get away from all that. I'm going to relocate away from all these negatives and work my way and climb the mountain of worship. It becomes just you and God. Yes, 
It may be a struggle. Yes, it may be physical. Yes, you may have to say no to some stuff. But let me tell you, even though you're tired and worn out and it's been a hard week and it's been a struggle and you've plugged in and you've, you've tried your best, just keep trying again and again and again because it won't take long. He says his presence is near to us and if we would just reach out, we could touch him. If you'll just push past the carnality of this world, if you'll just push past the struggle of what you're facing in this moment, you can enter into the very presence of God. And you can see Him in His majestic glory. You'll feel His presence. And you'll be worshiping Him not because of where you are, but because of who He is. Maybe you struggled in your spirit this week. Just relocate. Find a place to worship. You have to realize you're on the winning team. You can't live in the past. You can just let the past be forgiven. Here's what Psalms 100 says. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. So how do I worship? I'll tell you how you worship. You come before his presence with singing. I'm coming to a close. You come before his presence with singing. You make an intentional decision in your life and in your mind. You take that brain that we have and the trees don't. And you say, self, I'm going to worship. Self, your feet hurt today. So I'm going to stand up and worship. Self, my arms are tired. But I'm going to lift them up and worship. Self, you can't sing on key and you can't sing in tune. But the Bible doesn't say we have to sing on key or in tune. He says just make a joyful noise unto the Lord. So make it joyfully unto the Lord. And you choose to come before his presence with singing. Then it says to enter into his gates. There's something about it. If you could get the mental picture. I have no idea what heaven looks like. I have no idea what God's throne room looks like. But I just have this, this mental picture of this huge celestial throne room. It's so bright. And there's these gates or these doors that are right before his, his throne room. And I just see myself pushing on these gates. And they're so heavy. Not because of any negativity, just because they're so grand. They're so splendid, and I, I push on them, and they begin to move, and they slowly open up, and there I'm standing, 
in the very presence of God. anything that would limit you or tell you you can't go into his presence then sacrifice it on the altar today and be free and walk into his presence and worship him how do we worship God we worship him very similarly to how we praise him there are acts and actions that we do that's it just begin to talk to the Lord Lord I surrender my heart to you today how do we worship him Psalms 11 and 1 says praise you the Lord Praise Him with my whole heart in the assembly and in the congregation. That means it comes from down inside. It comes from our heart today. It comes from our heart today. I love you, Jesus. I worship you today. I praise you for it, God. I give you glory. My heart opens up to you. My spirit opens up to you. I surrender my everything to you. Psalms 47 and 1 says, Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Your hands are an act of worship. Your mouth is an act of worship. Psalms 141 says, Lift up your hands. Psalms 149 says, Dance. Psalms 33 says, Play skillfully before the Lord. Stand with me. Lift our hands towards heaven right now. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. if you would just find your way into the presence of God. Just push a little harder. Just push a little farther. Just move beyond every barrier. Move beyond every obstacle. If it's in the way, lay it on the altar and come before Him. There's only one that can take away alcoholism and make you sober. There's only one that can take away a drug addiction and make you clean. There's only one that can take a heart filled with hate and fill it with love. There's only one that can take a life that's been abused, misused, and mistreated, broken and abandoned, and he makes it whole again. There's only one that can take a dark soul stained with sin and make it white as snow. And his name is... Jesus. Thank you for listening to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. Join us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit us online at lifespringchurch.us.